This is Ein Yaakov, we are on page Reish Lama Beis. We're near the bottom of Ayin Zayin. We read this last time, but I want to just rehash it a little bit. We're going from Achiman, Visham Achiman. So down the line begins Acheres Imei, Vigemer, and reading Visham Achiman. So over there where the spies went in, they're reporting about what goes on in Eretz Israel. At this point, they're not reporting. The Torah is reporting. The Torah says, Visham Achiman that over there in Eretz Israel, there were Achiman, Sheshai, Salmai, which if you know modern Israelis is probably going to become names in like modern Israeli culture in the next couple of years. Names of evil giants, that is like prime for the picking Israeli names in the next couple of years. Like Nimrod, right? You just, I'm sure we're going to have Achimans, Sheshais, and Salmais if we don't already. But in any event, they lived there. They were the names of the evil giants. Achiman, why was he called Achiman? Because he was the Miyuman. Shebel Chavi was the most skilled of his brothers. Sheshai, why was he called that? He made the land like ditches. When he walked, he made these giant footprints. He made these big ditches in the ground every time he walked, huh? No, I did not. He made these giant holes in the ground every time he walked. There's another interpretation of their names. Achiman Bana Anas. Achiman built the town of Anas. Sheshai built the town of Alush. Talamai built the town of Talbush. There you go. Okay. Yilideha Anak. Shemanikim Chama became awesome. The reason why they were called Yilideha Anak, the children of the Anak, is because they were very, very large people, so tall, that, it, uh, that when they stood up next to the sun, it looked like they were wearing the sun as a necklace. Presumably a necklace that was not Chetzitz Mendel. There we go. Kashifat Tvila. It's wearing the sun like a necklace. I wanted to mention there's a very famous Sechetz in the Kutasichas, volume 28. You'll find it between pages 85 and 92. I talk about why the spies mentioned the giants multiple times. So it, this part's not the spies talking about the giants. Here's just the Torah telling us there were giants there. So the Torah tells us that Achiman, Sheshai, Salmai, Hanak were there. The spies come back and then they say, I wrote down all the psukim so I wouldn't get confused. The spies come back and say, We saw Yilidei Hanak, we saw these guys. We saw Sheshai and Salamai and Achiman. We saw the giants there. And then a few psukim later, the spies say again, and then they say, we saw the giants, the children of giants, and we felt like grasshoppers oh, in their eyes. they knew their names if they just saw it. I don't know. They don't say, no, they don't say the names. The Torah tells us their names. They say we saw the Bnei Anak. But the point is, for the Sikha, that they mention giants twice. First, they say these giants, they saw these guys, the Achiman, Sheshai, and Salamai, the Bnei Anak. And a couple of them later, they mention that they saw Nephilim, which are also giants. So the Rebbe asks in the Sikha, why did the spies say this twice? Why did the spies report the giants showing up twice? And the Rebbe says, based on Rashi there, he clarifies Rashi to be saying this too is that the spies were trying to say two different things. First of all, they said we saw giants. And these giants were really big people who could kill somebody. And you're very, very dangerous. You don't want to go in and fight these guys. Kalev then pops up and says, God has done all sorts of miracles for us. He split the sea. God knows how to handle big people. You're really afraid of giants? And that's a good argument, right? They're saying that, 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 that the enemy is very strong. The enemy is very strong. God has beat much stronger enemies. But then the spies come back and go, no, 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 you don't know what kind of giants we have there. We have Nephilim. Nephilim is a different kind of giant. Nephilim are malachim. They're angels that fell, that, that came down onto earth. This is an Imedrish in the beginning of Bereshis. They came onto earth. They thought they were going to be very holy when they were here. They were not. They ended, up, uh, they ended up marrying human women, and they ended up making giants as kids. These are fallen angels, and they did not get destroyed by the flood. So the spies say back, oh yeah, you're right. God can definitely destroy people. But you know that time God tried to destroy everything in the world, and a bunch of angels that were on earth were not destroyed by God? They can dodge the flood. They'll dodge him too. So that was a solid argument back. They said, you think, fine, he'll defeat the regular giants, but not the Nephilim. He already failed to defeat the Nephilim once. He messed up the first time. He tried to, God... Uh, I think supposedly like hang on to the side of the boat according to yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. 
Because before Meshur Benu killed egg, yes. So the concern here was not just the regular giants, because Kalev had an answer to that. We can all beat regular giants. Anybody could beat a regular giant. Mendel could beat a regular giant. The problem here was, what are you going to do with the Nephilim? They're a real issue. There we go. Uh, okay. Now it's on the, on the podcast. <laughs> and so uh, that, was the, that was their retort. The Rebbe says that this also works out Pichsidis. Don't forget how Pichsidis, the whole argument of the spies was that we can't enter Eretz Yisrael because now that we're in the Midbar, we're in a place of holiness. If we go out to the regular world, we're going to fall. We're not going to be successful. And the Kalev says back, no, we'll be fine. God will take care of us and we'll be able to be good Yidden even in a secular world. We'll find a way to still be from even if we're surrounded by these influences. The spies say back, really? Have you met the Nephilim, these were malachim, these were angels who were sure they weren't going to be affected by this world. They came down and they were immediately affected by it, very deeply and very horribly. If the angels couldn't do it, we can't do it. So not only was it an argument in Gashmias, it was also an argument in Ruchnias. The Nephilim are the thing to really be afraid of. First of all, because they can dodge the flood, that's in Pshat, and also because they even, these are examples of even angels failing in their spiritual mission. Maybe we'll fail in ours too. Yeah. Malachim don't have a gender, really, but that does beg the question, I suppose, how they were... Uh, I guess they all like default to men. I have no idea the answer they to They married the women of men. I, that's, the, that's why he asked. They married women, so but that would yeah, exactly. to suggest they're masculine, but they don't, well, yeah. Yeah, the question that was asked in the back of the room for people listening is whether malachim, whether they're female malachim, and uh, I, I, I have no idea. They all seem pretty masculine. I have no clue. I, I don't know. They all see, also seem gender neutral, yeah. I was wondering about that. I was wondering about that. Mesha points out that uh, it doesn't sound like a Davarache here. It's not like there's two interpretations of how to read their names. There's their names, and then there's also that they built some cities. It doesn't sound like two Pedersians. So Mesha says there's a Girsa that doesn't do it that way. That does, that does solve something I was wondering about. Thanks. Is Paritz' hand up too? No, you're just, you're just relaxing? Okay. How much time do we have left? Should we keep reading? Let's keep reading. Yeah, let's keep going. Ayin Ches, Vechevrein. We're going to talk about Chevrein. Chevrein. Um, yes, there is a, uh, there is a, uh, there's a mitle rabba on it that I sort of understand. We'll do it together. We'll hold my hand. You'll take care of me. V'chevren. Shevesh and Mitzrayim. Chevren was built seven years before Tsayan, which is a city in Mitzrayim. Pretty innocuous phrase. It's found in Parsha Shlach. The Gemara is very confused. My Nivnasa. What does it mean that Hevron was built seven years? Nivnasa. Built seven years before Tsayan. Elim and Nivnasa Mamish, if you're going to tell me that that was literally the case that was built, that Hevron was built seven years before Tsayan, I got problems. Is a person really going to build a house for their younger son before they build a house for their older son? Dechsiv says in the Pasuk of Necham, Kush, Ufut, Ukinan. And that Pasuk's a little bit cut off here, but I'll fill it in in a second. Actually, I'll fill it in right now. So the puzzle goes that uh, the Bnei Cham, the children of Cham were Kush and Put and Knan, and I forget where Mitzrayim goes. They cut Mitzrayim out for some reason. The Gemara they included. Hang on, I put a note here so I wouldn't lose it. That is Kush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. So the order of Kham's kids were the oldest was Kush, and then Mitzrayim, and then Put, and then Canaan. So each of them got a city that was built for them. Mitzrayim got Sayan built for him, and Canaan, which is the namesake of the land of Canaan, got Hevron built for him. Canaan was the baby of the family, so Canaan should not have had his city, Hevron, built before Mitzrayim's city, Tzayan. That would be a younger brother getting a city built for him before the older brother. So it can't be, says the Gemara, that one was built before the other. Must be we're not understanding this properly because it would be so weird to have, uh, to have somebody build a city for their younger son before their older son. Rashi brings... Uh, yeah, Rashi brings that there and also here, yeah. <laughs> the Gemara says that's not what it means at all. It doesn't mean it was built before. Huh? 
hold that thought. The Ian Yaakov's going to sort of say that in a different context. Hold that thought. Mechavin to the Ian Yaakov tonight. Gold star. Ella, Shaisa Mavuna al Echad Meshivim B'Tzayan. The Gemara says, doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that it was built seven years before Mitzrayim, before Tzayan. It means that it was seven times more fruitful, more Mavuna. It was more able to produce fruit. So it was seven times more fruitful than Tzayan. The Chevron is much better than Tzayan. Let me finish the idea and then I'll go back to the thing Levi was talking about. Chevron, by the way, is a rotten piece of land. There's no stonier, rockier, more difficult place for agriculture than Hebron. It's the worst part of Eretz Israel if you want to grow stuff. They bury people there. That gives you an idea. You don't usually take the best farmland and turn it into a cemetery. It's a good place for burying people. And there is no land in the world better than Eretz Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the sweetest of all the land. It's like a garden of Hashem, the land of Mitzrayim. And the best place in Mitzrayim is Tzayan. Tzayan is the sweetest part of all of, of, all of the land of Egypt. And even so, Times better than science. Let's just put that into context. Mitzrayim is the nicest country in the entire world, and it also has in it a city called Sion, which is the nicest city in the entire world. Hebron is by far the worst place in Eretz Yisrael, and nonetheless, it is still seven times better than the best place anywhere else. So that means the worst place in Eretz Yisrael is still seven times better than the best place anywhere else. Huh? Well, it can't be in the whole world, right? Because Eretz Yisrael. But besides Eretz Yisrael. Now, to what Levi was saying, the Ian Yaakov asked a question, sort of like Levi's answer. So the Ian Yaakov asked a question, says, okay, according to the second interpretation, fine. Hebron didn't, uh, didn't get a city before his brother, but he got a better one. Right? So, so ask the same question. Since when do we give our youngest kid a better city than our oldest kid? And the answer the Ian Yaakov gives, people like the baby of the family. You, don't, you won't give him first, but you might give him the best stuff. People have a soft spot for the baby in the family. Sometimes you give him the best people to land. He, he cites Yaakov as an example. Yaakov had a soft spot for the younger kids. The, uh, uh, oh. That's exactly what that's exactly, Yaakov says. What about Yaakov Avinu himself? He gave, us, he gave the coat to the youngest kid. He said, fathers, although it's, although it's true they'll give the first portion to the oldest child and the last portion to the youngest, they might save the best for the youngest. That is possible. So, indeed, uh, Chum saved the best for Canaan, the baby in the family. Should we go a little further? Let's see if this is a good place for stopping. A good waterhole? Yeah, more or less. Let's do the chassidus and then we'll call it for today. Okay, here's the chassidus. There is a Teres Chaim from the Mitle Rebbe. This is going to be the last thing we talk about today that explains this whole idea of Canaan, of Canaan, of, uh, of, of Chevron, which is in Canaan, being seven times better than Sion, which is in Mitzrayim. And he explains these all as things that exist in Klippa that can then be flipped to Kedusha. Mm-hmm. And to make a fairly long story short, he says that Canaan in Klippa is the Tachlis Hagasos. It's the very coarsest of all the Klippas. There's no deeper Klippa than Canaan. That's the very highest level. He calls it, he doesn't use exactly these words, but the words are almost identical, so I'm going to take some liberties. You remember Tainug bilti murgash in Kedusha, a tainug, a joy, that a, a, an enjoyment that is so sublime that you don't even feel it. He says the same thing exists in Klippa. Klippa has a level like that that is a tainug bilti murgash of Klippa, such a sublime Klippa that you don't even appreciate it. That is such a deep, horrible thing that it doesn't even feel good. That is when somebody does an Avera that they love, that they're addicted to, that they really, really enjoy, that they don't enjoy, <laughs> that they hate. You know people like that? You know things like that. I think we all have some things like that. Sometimes you do the wrong thing because it, feel, it feels good, and sometimes you do the wrong thing even though it doesn't feel good because in some inherent way it feels good, but I don't really feel how it feels good. You understand like, what I mean? Like a hit of sugar. Maybe, yeah. Like, like, eat it, like eating an enormous meal till your stomach hurts. Yeah. Or the example the Mitlid Abba gives, loving work. People who love going to work. They love going to work. They have real invest in that clipper. No one likes work, including people who love going to work. People who are workaholics are not happy. 
but they love it. You understand? They're, yeah, yeah. they're into it. He says, that, that's a different kind of klippa. It's not like mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the klippa of, I want this because it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Knan is the klippa of, I want this even though it's not delicious, but I still really, really want it, but I really don't like it. That one. And he calls that the klippa maso matan. And by the way, the word knan, Mittler Rebbe points out, the word knan is a word that means a salesman, a person who sells yeah. something. Because that's the klippa you find in people who are obsessed with business, is that they're very, very into something that they don't even like, but they're super into it. I think you probably also find this with certain addictions. Uh, certainly this applies to something like alcohol, where a person will drink and drink and drink. I don't mean addiction where they're really stuck, but I mean uh, addictive they substances. They don't enjoy it. Huh? You think about it, what's their life They're not getting any real time. So maybe the guy likes it, he's happy in a sense, but you're happy for what? It's a very strange clipper, this one. So he says, this is the, this is the most sublime, lofty clipper. This is the deepest clipper. And this is the clipper of Canaan. And this clipper is so high that it's above the Zion Malkayin de Tayu. This is above the seven kings of Tayu, seven times better than even Tayu. So this is seven times deeper a clipper than Tayu. And that's what Canaan represents in clipper. When we entered Eretz Israel, we were going to turn our mitzvahs in Eretz Israel, and that was going to flip even that clipper. That was the intent of specifically giving us the land of Israel, as opposed to any other land. Any other land he gave us would have flipped a lesser clipper. God wanted to send the Jewish people, the, the kings of flipping Klippa over to Kedusha, to the deepest Klippa that exists of all, the land of Canaan, to switch it over to Kedusha. That's right. Seven times higher than whatever is in Mitzrayim, the tiny of Mitzrayim. Yeah. In the Torah, it 